0: paratruth radio is a proud member of evergreen podcasts on killerpodcast.com do you like dogs I do too that's why today's episode is brought to you by barkbox.com get one free extra
1: month of barkbox at www.getbarkbox.com forward slash paratruth Christian and non-christian paranormal
2: investigators they have two different views. And it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when a mainstream view of the current on crosses paths with Christian view? <laughs> so
3: going, Paratruthers? Welcome to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin. I hope everybody had a safe and happy Thanksgiving. I hope nobody got killed or tried to kill somebody over the Black Friday sales. And I hope everybody is doing well this day. So I have a great show for you guys. Uh, You know, a lot of people have thrown out different theories about ghosts. And my guest tonight has put a new spin on ghost theory. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, for those of you listening at TMV Cafe, Fringe Radio Network, Paranormal UK Radio Network, and Paratruthradio.com, let's get ready to expose some lies. Brandon Masullo is a clinic therapist and parapsychologist residing in Medina, Ohio. Fascinated by paranormal phenomena for more than 20 years, Masullo has been a featured speaker at numerous paranormal forums and events. He studied psychology and parapsychology at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. His research has been cited in numerous parapsychological journals, articles, and mainstream books. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome my guest, Brandon Masulo. Brandon, welcome to Truth Radio. How are you doing this evening?
1: I am doing great. How about yourself,
3: Justin? Doing really well. Doing really well. Love doing this show and meeting new people. Um, as I just had said to you off air, you're in Medina, Ohio, and I'm originally from Cleveland, Ohio, so it's not that far of a, a hop, skip, and a jump away from where I was living at one point. Um but uh, before we get started, I wanted to tell everybody, um, or have you tell everybody a little bit about what got you into the paranormal and what prompted you to do the book, The Ghost Studies.
1: Uh, sure, sure. So, uh, gosh, what prompted me to get into it? Well, I, I, you know, probably when I was in my teenage years, I, um, I had a, a friend who witnessed um, um, an apparition. We were uh, over a friend's house. And uh, I didn't witness it, but he did. And he came and started talking to me and asking me questions like, you know, what is a ghost? What causes a ghost? And, you know, I didn't have the answers to that. So I just, uh, I ended up going to the library, picking up a book on parapsychology and sort of fell in love with parapsychology and, you know, grabbed all the information I could about it, uh, read all the books. Um, And then uh, at one point I was like, you know what, I'd really like to study this. So I ended up. Studying just psychology, did that for a while, got my master's degree, was doing clinical counseling. And then I went to uh, overseas to Scotland and studied parapsychology over there, which, I mean, parapsychology is essentially the study of everything paranormal, if you want to think about like that. Um, They look into ghosts, telepathy, psi, ESP, that type of thing. You know, so I, I was always a fan of ghosts. I was always sort of interested in them. You know, I never had a, a personal experience as a young child, um, and I still really haven't seen, a, a like, a full-body apparition. Um, so I don't have really a cool, cool story uh, about a haunting or growing up in a haunted place. I just really wanted to know the answers to what causes these type of phenomena. Mm. And then, you know, just pick up a book, and the next thing you know, it's 10 years later, and I'm in Scotland studying <laughs> parapsychology. You know, it just sort of happens that way. <laughs>
3: Well, the one thing that I, I actually respected after starting to read the book and everything, and you say that, you, you know, you've never been on a, a ghost investigation or, or ghost hunt, quote-unquote, if you will, and, you know, there's a lot of these TV shows that are doing these things now and bringing it to mainstream media. And nobody, I mean, even though they do research on on the uh, locations that they they go and do the ghost hunt on or whatever, nobody really studies enough to say we've we've found what ghosts really are or what these different phenomena are so i I think that it's an interesting way to go about it because you didn't get into the ghost hunting um did was it just it never prompted in you or never rose to the occasion that you had to do that or
1: you know it it w- when I grew up there wasn't a you know, I'm going to date myself a little bit, but I'm, I'm about 30, 38 years old. So when I grew up, there, there was no shows on TV. You know, we had Unsolved Mysteries. Right. Uh, you know, but nothing like Ghost Hunters or anything like that. So, um, you know, I, I never really watched a lot of the reality television shows until I was sort of, you know, already in college. And, and at that point, I, I um, you know, I um, investigations and ghost hunts. I've never been part of a paranormal team, though. Okay. So I've been to haunted locations. I've, I've, held a, I've, I've been with, I usually go with teams inviting me to go uh, just because I, I really want to know what goes on in these investigations. Mm. Um, you know, so I, I, I've never been on a team, but I've been to a lot of these haunted locations in my life. And, and, you know, I, being on a team could be a little bit complicated. You know, I, I, I talk to a lot of people who, who do this on a, I would call it like a full-time basis because it's almost every weekend. Right. They're so passionate and they're so involved and they're, they, they love going out to these haunted locations and they love, you know, just talking with people. And, I, and I, I'm I really envious of that. But I think you're right. On the other end of that, um, you know, you, you spend so much time doing that. Uh, I think it's beneficial if you want to be, you know, a serious investigator to of um, parapsychology and his theories. A little bit about why the EMF meters are used, uh, what has why is electricity important, uh, and just you know kind of look into some of the research. And when I say research, I mean journal articles and you know books about why that's there. At that, you you learn to appreciate these paranormal investigations a lot more, rather than just sitting in a room with an EVP or with a um, voice recorder trying to catch an EVP. Right. You can know a little bit more about what's going on around you. Uh, and that makes the investigation interesting. So um, that's kind of one of the things that made me want to write the book. Was you know I I, I got all this information and I thought to myself, wouldn't it be great if it was just um, all put in one book? All the EMF, all the electricity, all that stuff. Right. So someone can just yep. kind of pick it up and, and and get get that information right away. Um, so you know that's kind of a double answer there, but that's why I answered your previous question. That's right. one of the reasons right. I, I wrote the book.
3: So one chapter in it is uh, energy, electricity, and apparitions. And I had a paranormal investigation team with my cousin Eric, who is my co-host, um, when I, I was still living in Cleveland. And one of the things that you learn as a ghost hunter is, is that if it's if there's high EMF, it's possibility of a spirit or ghost or... Something of that nature, uh, being around, but you also have to rule out, uh, EMF from electronics, bad wiring. What in your research did you come across that is, is it something that ghosts need to feed off of electrical fields or something like that? Or, uh, is it maybe the electrical fields that are playing with people's minds? Like a lot of ghost hunters have said, you know, high EMF can make people see and hear things almost like there is a haunting. What What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, so uh, that's a great question because that's really the the ultimate debate. You know, are are EMFs or these elect, um, electromagnetic fields in the environment, in a way, messing with our brains or causing us to see ghosts? Or, like you said, is it um, do ghosts um, manipulate the electromagnetic fields to manifest themselves? So you, you, you really – and if you have to look at it from both sides almost simultaneously at one point. Mm. So what did I find out, right? Um, well, I, I didn't answer that question too well. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I did find out was it's kind of based on your perception. So obviously um, there's a lot of research out there from Michael Persinger, who is the, the, um, the, the neuropsychologist who sort of invented um, the God Helmet. Uh, and did a lot of research on that, and he proved that, you know, if you if there's very complex or erratic electromagnetic fields um, at pretty pretty normal frequencies um, in in strength environment, it can cause us to have uh, see ghostly sense of presence or see apparitions. You know, I've heard normal conferences and listened to investigators speak, and usually every team has that story, right? Uh, I went in and and this, there was a a small child who was having all these um, who was seeing ghosts at night. And then we removed the clock, and we found out through our EMFs that the clock was giving off high EMFs. We removed it, and then the phenomenon went away. Um, have you heard stories like that going through?
3: Um, yeah, a little bit here and there.
1: Okay, yeah. Sometimes it's a clock, sometimes it's a fan, sometimes their bed was located near. Um, Fuse box or something like that, and then once they determine that, then um, you know, then the phenomenon go away. But then on the other hand, you know, there's a lot of investigators who really swear by the idea that if you have an electromagnetic field or you have an EMF meter and it's you know very the EMF meter is going off or having activity, and you can't find um, you can't find a natural explanation for it, or if sort of moves around like a person, you know what I'm saying? Right. So if you get a high EMF meter near a, near a washing machine, you could probably say, Oh, that's, that's a washing machine or or a dishwasher. Sorry. But if, if this EMF is sort of following somebody around or moving through the house, then you can't really come up with too much of an explanation behind that. And then that kind of leads to this idea where it could be a ghost. Uh, so what I talk about in there is I kind of look at different perspectives from each side and, and then I kind of go over,
2: eh,
1: you know, is, is there a specific measurement that indicates the presence of a ghost? Actually, there's not. So, you know, the more I talk to people in paranormal teams, I'm like, well, so you say there's activity. Why? Why? Tell me, explain why. And everyone has a different answer for that. Generally, they say it's around two milligoths and seven milligoths, if it's the EMF is fluctuating and moving around the house, Mm. but there's no on that either. Um, You know, my, my thoughts in the end are, I do think energy and electricity play a role in ghostly phenomenon. um, But it's so challenging because, you know, the EMF meters, they're really not as people think they are, not even really taking into account a lot of times, geomagnetic field. Um, So you're really just, as far as detecting actual with the with most meters that we have. I mean, the K2 meter, I don't want to say worthless, but it's not picking up a lot. Uh, you're not getting uh, accurate information with that meter.
3: Yeah, I, I had a K2, and it seemed like it was almost too sensitive. Like it, it would probably be picking up some type of electro, uh, electronics or something rather than, say, a, a, a spirit. And unfortunately, I didn't have the money to get anything better than that, so it was one of those things. And that's kind
1: of what, what I, it's an expensive field to get into. I yeah. Mean, if you, I mean, with the cameras, the FLIR, the, uh, the recordings and the EMF meters, uh, now it's getting more and more high-tech as, as we get uh, further into the, um, you know, the ghost hunting field, but um so that's that's a good point though i mean it's like it's picking up something but i'm not sure what it's picking up so i can't really i you know what i'm saying i don't know
2: right right (laughs) so
1: you really have to go by what your experience is and and if everyone used the same meter then we would have a better idea of kind of what we're looking at but everyone uses a different meter some are using k2 some are using the trifield meters I I could probably there's probably thirty different other EMF meters out there, right? And they're all different. Some are single-axis meters, some are triple-axis meters. So you don't really know um, consistently what you're getting. So there's there's really no consistency in the in the the research out there as far as paranormal investigations with the team.
3: Well, and you know a lot of people will say, well, we're being scientific about it. Well, science wants you to. Uh, re—what's the best wording? Reenact, I guess, the same thing several times to to get a proper hypothesis of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And as you're saying, you know, without people using the same EMF, same area, same time, you're not recreating that that area. And
1: and, you know, when I when I was when I did my research in the University of Edinburgh, I I did it at a place called Mary Mary King's Close, which is uh, it's pretty popular in the UK. All the shows have been there, the Ghost Hunters and all that. Okay. But what I had to do was um, I had to take baseline readings every morning. So I had to go, I had to go in the I think it was in the morning, morning or afternoon. Um, I ran the study over five days. So I had to go every morning before the participants got there and I had to do baseline EMF readings. So. You know, you get this baseline reading, and then if there's any variations from that, that's where you really look at what's going on. Um, and you use the same you the same EMF meter every time, same location every time, and you do this for five, six days. It's boring and tedious. Right. But then, like you said, you get this idea of, well, there is an aberration in this. This wasn't there for the last six days. What's happening now that's making this aberration? Um, and – in, in, the, in the field it's like you you go out one night you investigate a house for eight hours or a location for eight hours it's tough to go before get baseline ratings so it's really challenging to do that and I understand why paranormal investigators don't do that but um, you know it, I think it's important the consistency the reliability all that stuff's pretty important when you want to show your your data or your evidence um, so I you know I I have a I have a blog sometimes, and I'll talk about kind of what, what could help move the field forward. Um, and I think that that's one of the things we have to do is there has to be consistency, all the, all the um, like, we should be giving the same questionnaires to everybody. We should have the same investigation protocols. And I think this has been preached before but it, it's challenging to do when there's over, I don't know, a 1,000 paranormal teams out there all doing their own thing.
3: Right, yeah. You would have to turn it into an actual career-type field in order yeah. to do that. Exactly. So one thing that you had just mentioned a little bit ago is that the technology is just building and building. In your opinion, mm-hmm. in, and I can voice my opinion on this too, but in your opinion, <laughs> do you think that the technology – is increasing our ability to come to that final answer, or do you think it's kind of hindering us?
1: Oh wow, that's a great question. I don't think I've ever been asked that question. Um, uh, personally, uh, personally, I think it really hinders us in a way. Okay. Um, I, I I really believe that um, you know getting the getting the the readings of the environment is important. Right. But I think it's gone um, a little haywire, you know, w- with all these. Um, I don't even know what to call them. There's like teddy bears with EMF stuff around them, <laughs> uh, static, static pods. Um, you know, it seems like every week there's a new sort of right. new hickey out there that. Um, you know, I think people are getting too tech focused. You know, you can get the environmental readings, but again. It's important I think the human experience is, is is very very important when it comes to a haunting um, or ghostly encounters at any kind or any rate
2: right. you know getting
1: a good eyewitness account of what's going on um, you know just going out into the environment and I think that's really really important. you know some of the some of the best ghost hunters in history really didn't have any equipment with them. I mean you go back to the 70s, you know, and, you know, prior to that, really, there was no equipment there, right? Um, Nowadays, it's all equipment, and very little, um, you know, research and, and, and that type of thing. So it's kind of shifted, you rely more on the equipment and less on, you know, your, your knowledge, or your, your base knowledge, or your education. So it does hinder it a little bit. But man, those things are cool looking, though. I will tell you what, right, yeah. I, I, you know what I'm saying? Like I get sucked into. I'm like, because I go to these conferences and, um, you know, when I do the speaking and and I, you know, I'll, I'll be there and I'll go around to, to some of the tables and and these people, like some of the stuff out there, it's like amazing. The the electronics in there and what it, but it it
0: I, I get it. I
1: get why you want to take that stuff out into the field. <laughs> I just saw one of the ones with the what is it? The Xbox Connect. Um, um, it it almost shows like little stick figures out into the. I, I don't know how to describe it, but
2: oh,
3: um,
1: it was a pretty cool piece of tech.
3: Well, the one thing that I when I, had gotten an Xbox One, and the one thing that I had found interesting with the Kinect is it will do night vision, and it will also do thermal imaging, and I'm like. Mm-hmm. You could bring this on a ghost hunt and not need any other cameras (laughs) with you. (laughs)
1: And you can get to connect for like $10. Right. (laughs) It's not that nobody uses it anymore to play games with.
3: (laughs) Well, and, you know, I I do agree with you. I I think we're getting away from the, the human aspect of it for two reasons. One, when you do an investigation and you bring evidence to the table for your client, you tell them your personal experiences, but you say, now this was just a personal experience. We can't give it to you as evidence. And it's like, I feel that personal experience is, is just as much evidence. I mean, some of the weirdest, uh, court cases have been on nothing more than, uh, circumstantial evidence that people have seen or heard. And it's just like, (laughs) so, and I do agree that these, these electronics are pretty amazing and awesome, but it's almost like each team is trying to one-up each other. Mm -hmm. I, well, I've got the new big thing. Well, look at this. This is the new, new big thing. And it's like, it's become a competition. And it's like, I think we've gotten away from what we're trying to do. We're trying to help people. We're not trying to just say, oh, Hey, yeah, you have a ghost. See you later. Bye. And I, yeah, I think that's yeah. what the the personal aspect gets into is, well, we can look into this. You know, here it, you have a child sleeping next to an an electronic alarm clock. Let's remove that and see what happens.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Like you yeah. had said,
1: exactly. And that's a that's a completely plausible way to look to utilize an EMF meter. You know, when people when people buy houses and they have people come in and do inspections. Um, I've noticed more and more, more and more companies now will uh, offer that EMF um, assessment of a house before someone buys it. Okay. Um, you know, so but so that's a, a completely reasonable thing to do because you don't, I mean, obviously the the research out there is sort of sketchy on you know the effects of EMF, at least low level EMFs on right. biology. Right. You know, but hey, you're sleeping next to a fuse box and you got like you know a thousand milliGauss in your head and you do that for three years, you're going to have some probably effects from it. Right. So I think, it's, you know, so it's a, it's a good idea to make sure you're not just bombarded with high levels of EMF. Right. So, you know, that's a completely reasonable re- thing to use an EMF meter for. But like you said, when you sit people down, I think you're right. I think sometimes there's a lot of pressure for people to point to some, you know, concrete evidence that something is going on. So obviously experiences, personal, are subjective. If you want to think of it like that, so um, it's it's just my experience, it's how what I witnessed. But an EMF meter is concrete and objective, so it's a I have a piece of equipment that gives me a number. So people rely, people think, well, that's that's more validity that a paranormal thing is going on.
0: But I think you're right. I think
1: it's it's almost in a way opposite of that. You know, in parapsychology and a lot of a lot of the, the research out there. There's way more spontaneous cases of ghostly encounters, and that's just subjective witness,
2: right? Um, right.
1: Then there is haunted um, reports of haunting. So um, you know, there's all these books out there with millions of spontaneous cases of crisis apparitions and deathbed apparitions that um, could be validated. You know, the, the you know I, I am and I saw my my mom to me, and then I got a phone died at 2 a.m right that could be validated and i think that's the biggest evidence of ghost you know the validity of ghostly encounters
3: okay so one uh of the other chapters in the book uh kind of sparked my my attention and that was ghostly ingredients theory so can you tell us a little bit about ghostly ingredients theory
1: uh yeah sure so so in the book i go over um Two new two new and fresh ideas or theories on ghosts. And one of the theories that I go over is um, called ghostly ingredients theory. So ghostly ingredients theory has to do with um, – it doesn't really answer questions as far as hauntings go. So this is your residual um, hauntings and locations.
2: Mm-hmm. This more
1: has to do with what happens during crisis apparitions or um, – um, deathbed visions, and, and this is, we talked a little bit about this before, this is when one-time cases of spontaneous ghostly encounters, so, you know, waking up one night and, and seeing, you know, your friend standing in front of you, you know, maybe covered in blood and saying, help, and then, um, you know, you see this visual apparition and you hear him, and then the next day you find out that, your you know, your friend was in a car accident and that he died. Um ghostly ingredients theory sort of goes along the lines of maybe explaining a little bit about what happens during these types of ghostly encounters and and i think these are 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 great what's great about spontaneous cases is it gives you um it, it gives you a nice fresh look at these types of ghostly encounters because usually these people have these encounters one time in their lives maybe a couple times but it's they're not really looking for it. It just sort of happens to them. So, you know, if you go to a haunted location, you might be sort of primed to see a ghost. You know what
2: I'm Mm -hmm. saying?
1: Could you walk in there, you know, ready to see ghosts and and, and do that type of thing. But uh, what ghostly ingredients basically says is there's, there's sort of a series of complex processes that happen to cause a ghostly encounter. Um, And the first part of that has to do with psychological aspects. So you have this, Uh, life-threatening events, which is the psychological aspects, that cause all kinds of emotional shifts inside us.
2: Mm.
1: So this causes, uh, this life-threatening or traumatic event causes um, all kinds of changes internally. And the next step is the bioenergetic changes. So as you know, we're all sort of electrical beings. Um, Right. We're, you know, EKGs, um, EEGs, these are all medical pieces of equipment, which really sort of um, gauge the, the electricity in our bodies. Um, but what we don't realize is that when we have these traumatic events, these life-threatening events, such as death or dying or car accidents, um, emotions could also cause changes internally for us, and that has to do with our energy levels or our bioenergetics or the electricity in our bodies. So you have a life-threatening event plus the bioenergetic changes inside us. Um, that, that, all those changes inside us um, sort of trigger what I like to call um, external information acquisition. So, but what basically that means is um, changes inside us seep out into the environment. Um, and then once, once these electromagnetic fields inside us seep out into the environment, It kind of resonates with somebody across across the continent or miles and miles away, and then that sort of gives us our um, our paranormal um, our ghostly encounter. So when I when I go through this, it it sounds like a lot, but it's actually (laughs) pretty simple. (laughs) You have psychological aspects plus bioenergetic aspects equals or plus external. information acquisition equals paranormal experience. Um, okay. It's really a simple, it's a simple equation to, um, crisis apparitions and deathbed visions. In the book, I go over a lot of case examples to it. And I really discussed a little bit about, um, how the environment plays a role in ghostly phenomenon. The, the, um, the role that, um, um, we've all heard of imprint theory, mm. sort of the encounters being burned into the environment. Um, so the, the, the book itself goes into a lot about what happens on that. And ghostly ingredients theory is basically a glimpse into the phenomenon of apparitions. Um, it's the idea that telepathy, ESP, communication at a distance are possible causes for apparition and haunt-type phenomenon. Um, and, and, and what it really looks at is sort of, How all this stuff combines to have a crisis or deathbed apparition. Um, You know, in the book, I really break it down very, 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 very easy to understand. Um, It's tough to really encapsulate ghostly ingredients theory in a soundbite, I found. Right, uh, yeah. (laughs) Over the last two months. Um, Although I've tried. um, (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it's a little bit more complex than just one thing happening. So it's not just like survival after death or something like that. It's a whole complex process that happens. It really leads us to this idea of apparitions happening.
3: Right. Well, that, uh, kind of leads into the chapter on your hypothesis. And I found this like super fascinating that, you know, a lot of people will say it's the electromagnetic, uh, imprint. If it's a, a, uh, non-intelligent haunting or a a repeat haunting if you will um and and your hypothesis with the the telepathic imprint actually made a lot more sense even though i you know i know that we're bioelectricity and once you die that a bioelectricity can't go anywhere so it's possible that we could leave an imprint instead of us just being there but the telepathic imprint i don't know why it just rang more to me yeah. than than the electromagnetic imprint so tell us a little bit about that
1: yeah so exactly so this 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 idea of um um you know, i call it like a, a, a telepathic distress signal is what i call it okay um, yeah and and i think that you know there's this this idea that um you know it, I'll I'll backtrack a little bit and I'll get to the answer to the question.
2: Okay.
1: So the, the the popular idea is that, um, stone tape theory and imprint theory, which states that the environment holds the memory of a past event. Right. Mm -hmm. So when we come into, there's a tragic event that happens like a death of a civil war soldier or something like that, that the energy from that death is burned into the environment. And then people who come to that environment sort of see, feel, hear, taste, um, and this is where a ghostly phenomenon happens. That's the imprint theory in a way. And this is used often to explain these res- residual hauntings. So this, this is what you said was, you know, the ghost is not really conscious. It's more like a recording. A mm. Yeah. So, but there's no specific explanation or mechanism for how this happens. Like you said, it's sort of like the bioenergy is sort of just burned into the environment. Right. Um, but I, I always found that there was a, there's flaws with this theory. Um, in other words, the, the tragic event or violent death must have occurred at a location for a haunting or a haunt type phenomenon to occur. So w- when you when you say that, it means that a, lot of, a location, therefore, if a location doesn't have this violent history, nothing could be burned or imprinted into the environment, right. which sort of limits a haunting to one particular location. So unlike place or imprint theory, I don't believe that this event or violent death is what causes an imprint into the Environment, but it's this telepathic distress message that an individual sends during a pretty intense traumatic event or violent death, which is sort of imprinted into the environment. So the the, the actual name of the theory I have is called spontaneous apparitional trace theory, okay. and it sort of says that in every haunted location there was an individual who sent a telepathic distress call to someone who was who they're kind of emotionally linked with uh, that's been stuck at that location. So it's this telepathic distress call that is what sensitives and ghost hunters are encountering um, and I think this can account for a great deal of these recurrent apparitions and hauntings so again in my theory a haunting doesn't have to coincide with the location of a tragic event or um, but it could also be at the destination or the end point of the telepathic message so you know I know some of your listeners might we all hear the word telepathy and it's something we all sort of feel like we know
2: right yeah
1: uh, you know but i'll be honest when i started actually reading about telepathy i was like oh my god that's not how i defined it right Uh, but telepathy is basically just communication of impressions of any kind from one mind to another Um, but what we don't think about with telepathy we think you know you you go in one room i go in another and then i you think of a number and then i read your mind
3: right or or we're talking to each other without moving our lips
1: exactly but telepathy goes a lot farther than that. It's actually, um, it could be visual. Uh, it could be auditory. You could hear things. Um, it's sense of presence, that's another thing that could happen. Um, you know, there's this, this idea where, you know, you're in one location, and then all of a sudden you get a burning sensation in your arm, uh, and you find out later that your wife is, who is states away actually burned her, her arm mm. cooking or something like that. So she, in a in a way, communicated her distress to you miles and miles away through a feeling in your arm. Um, so this idea of communicating at a distance is, is you know, it's, it's been going on for a long period of time. You know, and usually when people are in distress is when this actually occurs. But, you know, my theory basically says that um, – You know, it's this distress signal that's sent when somebody is, you know, dying or in a life threatening situation is sort of burned into the environment at the location, but also at the end point of that as well.
0: Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.
3: Well, I think that's kind of why it drives better with me because it doesn't necessarily mean that person died. There yeah. was just a traumatic event that they were like, Oh my god, I'm going to die or there's something going really wrong here and mm-hmm. sent out what like you said the distress signals trying to to get help.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And a lot of times, you know, when you go in investigating houses, you know, you, you'll go to a place and you know, the house could be, you know, a year old and then the investigators like, "Oh, you can't have a ghost here. This house is brand new." Right. Well, in my theory you can you know, right. it doesn't matter. The house could be two days old or 300 years old. It, it doesn't really matter.
3: The land um, has been there way longer than the house has been.
1: Yeah. And, you know, just because a death didn't occur there, that doesn't mean that, you know, um, it, 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 it it could be the end point of the telepathic distress signal. Oh, right. So if, yep. have, so if you have a Civil War soldier that died in Gettysburg who, you know, was going through a, a death and you know um, communicated to his mom in montana right mm-hmm. uh, she got this tele- telepathic distress signal and she woke up one night
0: saw a vision of her
1: her son in civil war uniform covered in blood um, in montana and let's say you're a paranormal investigator um, and you're investigating in montana and you come across you know you an evp of a soldier saying you know Tell my mom I love her, and a visual apparition of a Civil War soldier covered in blood. You might say to yourself, "Why am I getting? Why am I picking up evidence like this in Montana? Because there's no civil. I don't think there was any Civil War soldiers, or
2: right, yeah, <laughs> right. I
1: don't think you know. Um, but what you are picking up is what his mother was receiving from this soldier uh, way back in 1830 or, or whenever the Civil War. was, 1863? So the 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 phenomenon or the the ghostly experiences can can happen at the location which is gettysburg but could also happen at the destination of this telepathic distress signal which is montana so that's kind of a cool part of the theory as well it can explain a lot a, a lot of the it, it actually fills the holes for a lot of the flaws in some of the theories that are out there right now
3: yeah i, I that's actually a really good point because i like you said i don't, I don't think that the, the civil war, there was any fighting in Montana, but very, very oh, yeah, valid so. point. Um, one thing that, uh, comes to mind is a, uh, a previous guest of ours had said, you know, there's a lot of people that talk about ghosts where it's just the legs now, or it seems like the, the spirit is disappearing because it's only half of the person or something. Um, and that maybe spirits are, slowly fading away over time because the the energy is is dissipating or what have you um do, have you done any studies on that where the the apparitions are just gradually fading away or anything like that
1: um no no i've never actually that's, that's the first i've heard of something like that um you know i i always yeah,
3: I, I really even know how
1: to answer that.
2: <laughs> <Okay>.
3: Well, <laughs> what, what he know. had compared it to is kind of like there. I forget the movie that he had mentioned, but there was a movie that was made that uh, it was an English movie. I believe that these these scientists went in using sound waves and that spirits are actually made of sound waves. And when you see a half body apparition or whatever, it's actually the body. Or the the spirit is dissipating because those sound waves are eventually evaporating and dissipating throughout the the environment. Um, one theory that I had also come across listening to somebody else's podcast, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this is, you know, we we think of time as linear, but there are many cultures and and religions that believe that time is happening past, present, and future all at the same time, um, and. That they're all converging, and that maybe that's where ghosts are coming from. What are your thoughts on that? That we're seeing, uh, like, seeing into the past or seeing into the future.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's sort of that idea of um, multiple, multiple dimensions or string theory. Right. Or it's, it's, yeah. Um, I tell you what, I, I've, I've, you're, I've read a lot about that, um, and you know, th- this quantum, quantum physics and it's really a um it's a rabbit hole to go down for sure yeah um, <laughs> you know i i i think that that's definitely a plausible explanation for a lot of things that happen, so in other words, you know you just sort of get a you glimpse into another dimension or another part of time um, i think that could that could probably account for some things but I am nowhere near knowledgeable on anything with physics to even comment really intelligently on that.
2: That's okay.
1: (laughs) I I, I think because you know there's a lot of books out there that 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 really go into that and and I I'll be honest with you I'm I'm more of a proponent that um, maybe I I think I I don't think it's that complicated.
2: Okay.
1: (laughs) If you want to think about quantum physics and mechanics, I don't think it's that that complicated. Right. I think it's just there's there's you know the the earth the the earth's atmosphere has the capability of of of, of storing a lot of energy out there mm-hmm. um, you know my, michael persinger says it has enough energy in the Earth's um, atmosphere to store all basically all the memories of everybody who's ever lived right mm-hmm. so if if that's possible then maybe at some point we're just sort of resonating or connecting with this type of thing in the environment. You know, um, I really think it's as simple as just sort of um, almost like a radio antenna. You know, all this stuff is out there. Just at some point when certain situations line up, we just sort of connect with it, right? Right. I think it's as simple as that. Um, And and that's when we have these experiences. So I I, I read about all that, the quantum physics, and I'll be honest with you, I kind of just, I I really think that sometimes that takes out the human experience, and I I really just believe that um, I would never discount it saying it doesn't happen, but I'm more of the proponent, like I talked about, about us just connecting with something in the environment.
3: Right. Well, just like any other science, we're trying to explain something that we can't explain. So quantum physics falls right into that as well. We're trying to say that. And I, one thing that I have found fascinating in the past couple of years is quantum physicists are now saying that there is more proof that this is more of an intelligent design than it's not. than just the big bang theory and poof here we were.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think I I would agree with that because my big thing is like consciousness. Um, you know, neuropsychology and, and physics and all that, you know, 10 to 15 years ago, if you said, you know, consciousness, is sort of our self-awareness,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, if you said it, it lied outside of our brain, you were laughed at and your tomatoes were thrown at you. Right. So the, the idea has always been that consciousness is somehow a physical part of our brain, like you could open your head up and find consciousness. But the, the fact of the matter is, is they haven't found it.
3: Right. You know? Yeah. Nobody can say here, they're, they're in the brain right there. Yeah. That's where it is.
1: Yeah. And, and now you get more people who are thinking outside the box, you know, and saying, you know, consciousness may not just be a physical part of our, our brain. It may lay outside of our ourselves. And if, if consciousness or self-awareness is not a physical location in our brain and it's outside of us, that helps explain a lot of things from near-death experiences um, it could also go on to explain, you know, telepathy. It could explain uh, apparitions to some degree. Uh, it could explain um, numerous other psi phenomenon as well. Mm. So I think that, that as as things progress here, we're getting maybe more and more people in academia who are willing to say, you know, let's go down this road rather than let's just shut this thing completely off. You know that um, Rupert Sheldrake has been preaching this idea of consciousness being outside of our brains since the mid 80s i think and and now people are actually starting to listen to them so it took them over 30 years but um and i think that's good that these young scientists are taking into account these alternative thoughts about what's happening so if there's a breakthrough in there there's a breakthrough with parapsychology ghosts apparitions all this stuff
3: right and i agree i think that uh we, we tend to fluff off some parts of, of things to explain things, but then cling to others. And it's like, no, guys, you have to embrace all of it or none of it. Because if you don't embrace <laughs> all of it or at least consider all of it, then it's like you're not going to get the explanation that you're looking for. So
1: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And when it comes to ghosts, too, there, there really probably isn't one theory that's 100% true. Right. You know? It, it could, let's say my theories would account for maybe 30% of ghostly encounters. Maybe earthbound spirits, um, survival after death can account for, you know, 15%. Maybe um, EMS messing with a brain causing us to believe we see ghosts can be 20%. And, you know, maybe multiverse universe could be 5%. You know what I'm saying? So to say it's just one theory, it, you know, it's... It, There's obviously there's different, you know, if you see an apparition, it could be a hallucination, right?
3: Right. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Well, it
1: could be this or it could be that.
3: It's the same thing with, um, like sleep paralysis, for example, even though you're, you're technically awake, your body's not realizing you're awake. And then people have debated from as far back as this phenomenon has been, has been studied and, uh, chronicled that you know maybe it's more a spiritual attack or something like that and that's why you're seeing these different things and then there's other people that say no you're just hallucinating because you were dreaming and then all of a sudden you're awake and what was in your dream is now in front of you and i I think that it can be both and Mm -hmm. a lot of people will say no it has to be one or the other and i'm like no it it it's, and it's the same thing with my, my co-host Eric. He comes from a strict Christian perspective on a lot of these things. And a lot of the stuff that him and I will disagree on is he believes ghosts and spirits are, uh, have to be demons because the Bible says they're demons. Where I say, okay, I respect that, that and I, I can see that, but I also think that there's more to it. I think that human spirits can still be here and um, if you can't wrap your mind around both aspects, or at least be like, "Well, I respect your opinion, but I don't, I don't agree with you," and yeah. just want to argue, that's where we're we're coming into problems.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, you, you you have these very steadfast believers that everything is paranormal and everything is a spirit or a ghost or a demon, right? And then on the opposite end of that, you have these. Uh, Steadfast skeptics who discount everything to being, you know, hallucinations or sleep paralysis or EMT, whatever they want to say. Right. Um, when you, but the having an open mind and being in the middle is probably the best place to be. Because I tell you what, it's easy to be a, a steadfast or ardent skeptic. I mean, it's really easy to do that, and it's really easy to be a steadfast believer. You know. Those are easy, opposite ends are easy. It's being in the middle when you when you take both sides and you learn about, you know, what's going on in mainstream science to account for these apparitions and right. then also learning about, well, what are some alternative theories and thoughts. It takes a lot of work to know both sides. It's easy to only know one side.
3: Well, the the funniest thing is is like take an atheist for example. They they believe that once we die we're, there's nothing left and um you know, some of the arguments that I've seen put to these people. And I would even say, you know, well, do you believe in science? And they're like, well, yeah, science is proven. And it's like, well, it is also proven that we are bioelectricity. We are bioenergy and energy doesn't die. It just transforms. So what is your explanation? Most of the time it's just them backtracking and trying to basically say, well, no, 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 that's not what I was saying. And that's the end of it. And it's like, Okay, guys, we have to stop arguing and be like, we have, we all have to come together on this because it's it's so it's much more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the final chapter is is uh, entitled "Not Everything Is Paranormal," and I love that you put that in the book because a lot of times, like you just said, you either hop to one side or the other; either it's paranormal or it's not, and most people that hop to oh that's paranormal, oh that's paranormal haven't done the research or they get the EMF and don't try and track it down and that sort of thing so i I do appreciate that, but tell us a little bit about that chapter
1: well yeah so so that was one chapter that you I, I felt was pretty important for the book, um, and I think it's an, it's an important chapter just to say, you know what hey what roll out some things before you go ultimately towards it is paranormal or, um, or that. But, but what's great about that chapter is I go, every, go over everything from, you know, what is mainstream science say is going on, you know, is um, there's things called reality testing deficits. There's a lot of things in there that have to do with mental illness and um, paranormal phenomenon. And I do a case study with someone who has schizophrenia and how that could be viewed as someone who is possessed. Um, and I kind of, it's kind of a cool case study. in that you look at a, you, there's a person. I give a case study of what's going on with them. And then I have, there's a demonologist. Uh, I took it uh, from sort of an experience I had with the demonologist. And then I kind of look at, well, let's let's back step, let's take a step back and look at it this from a mental health perspective. Uh, and you can see how this person was probably not possessed, but then suffering from schizophrenia. And then I also go over how some people, you know, will use paranormal phenomenon to cope with losses in their lives, and um, you know, all the all the most recent up-to-date research on um, some things, research out there that says, you know, this isn't paranormal. This is a psychological thing, or this is a um, interpreting a stim, um, interpreting the environment differently. And so there's all kinds of things in that chapter. And there's a little bit about fraud and things like that as well. I think it's a nice rounded approach. uh, And I think it really helps people understand that there are some people with certain personality types, that are sometimes more prone to fantasy or sometimes their brain gets tricked a little bit better than everybody else's. And that doesn't mean they're, you know, not as good as everybody else. But I think it's something to really, look at this research out there that that mainstream science has done and and say, you know, they they put a lot of effort into it. There's probably some truth to it. Don't just poo-poo it all. uh, Just get a better understanding of it. And that's the last chapter. I don't know how many pages it is, but it's a pretty concise chapter, and I think it really gives people a well-rounded look at uh, ghostly encounters.
3: Well, I think the the whole book does that, so I do appreciate you coming out with it. Um, Most important question of the night, Where can everybody find you and find the book?
1: Um, Well, you can find me. I do have a website with a blog. It's called hauntedtheories.com. That's hauntedtheories.com. I go over a little bit about my theories in there. So if you're like me and you you understand things better by reading rather than listening, that's a good place to go. I'm on Facebook at Haunted Theories. Twitter is at Haunted Theories. The book is available at Amazon. Uh, you can also get it at Barnes and Noble if you like to actually go into brick and mortar stores and pick it up. Um, so those would be the two places that I would get it from, uh, Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, and that's pretty much it. The website gives you all the information about where I'm going to be, what I'm doing, some of my thoughts on all the theories. And if you ever want to get a contact me, Twitter, Facebook, and then my um, my website is the best way to do that.
3: All right, Brandon. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. And uh, coming to talk to me uh i want you to stay on the line um but folks you've been listening to paratruth radio i've been talking to brandon Masulo about the book the ghost studies and uh, we will be right back after this break hey para fans, do i have a deal for you the people over at loot crate are giving our listeners a 10 percent savings on any new subscription at lootcrate.com. Loot Crate is this awesome monthly mystery smorgasbord of a package that you get stuffed with different things from different genres, such as Zelda, Fallout, Harry Potter, and so many more. So to get your 10% savings, make sure you go to trylootcrate.com forward slash paratruth. Again, that's trylootcrate.com forward slash paratruth and enter bridge 10 to get 10% 10% savings on any new subscription. All right, folks. Welcome back to Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin, and I just got done talking to Brandon Mastulo about his book, The Ghost Studies. Very awesome guest. Very awesome guy. I hope that you check out the book. Uh, it's really interesting, and it delves into some stuff that I haven't even researched before. Um, so definitely check it out. I I think that you will love it as much as I have. Um, so that wraps up this week's episode. Um, I want you guys to check out paratruthradio.com. Uh, we actually have T-shirts on there no- now, and with Christmas time coming, what better present to give to your special someone than a Paratruth Radio T-shirt, especially if they love our show. And even if they don't love our show, give them one and they'll spark interest in, in our show. So I do encourage you guys to check that out. Um, I do want you guys to go check out the different networks we're on now. Uh, Paranormal UK Radio Network, TMV Cafe, Fringe Radio Network, as well as Radio and podcast.com And also check out uh ParanormalForum.net. They definitely uh, have been a huge part of our show from pretty close to the beginning. They've been uh, supporting the show for a long time. And that's about all I've got for you guys. So hopefully the elusive Eric will be back next week, as my special co hosts last week uh, had mentioned, he's kind of like a cryptid. I'm starting to believe that. So until next week, folks, where you will find us same time, Same channel. My name is Justin. Talk to you later, guys.